0: There's a quick review on the front page of your handout. You'll find a chart of the minor prophets as the God theater of the Bible. So across the top you see our um, way of knowing God at all is the Bible itself. It's broken down into two testaments, Old and New. Of course, we're in the Old Testament. It's under the category of prophets. Out of the three categories, law, prophets, and Psalms, categorization given to us by Jesus himself after he rose from the dead in Luke 24. We studied all that last week. So within the prophets, then there's two major categories, um, two classifications, I should say, major prophets and minor prophets. So we're studying the minor prophets, and these I'm describing as the God theater of the Bible. And all I mean by that is there's a story that's to be presented, and the story tells us about God. It reveals something about God. So we can imagine putting on a play, and in that play... Uh, God tells us who he is, what he's like when the events unfold. All right? So as far as we got now, we jumped into Hosea, and as far as we got was Hosea chapter 1, verse 8. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hosea. There's no bookmark or tab there. They don't look worn out. (laughs) These are the, the books we don't study as often, so hopefully we're giving you an introduction to pique your interest. And we're up to chapter 1, verse 8. We had talked about how the play that's being presented for us in the book of Hosea presents Hosea and then his wife. Hosea is a preacher. We could call him a pastor, I guess. He is a man of God expected to serve God's people. And God asked him to marry a woman who was an adulteress, unfaithful. So he did that. Then they had a child. God's the one who offered the name for the child. The name has a purpose. Then God uh, blessed them with a second child. The second child, we were told, is not Hosea's. It's a little scandal there. Not surprising, actually. And so God gives the name again uh, for the second child, and that's where we ended our story. So we're in chapter 1, verse 8. Our theater's mini-play presses forward now. Verse 8, after the uh, second child is born and named Uh, then we have this, verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Again, the word him is missing, uh, so we understand this not to be Hosea's son, but rather uh, the result of Gomer's continued unfaithfulness. Hosea must be feeling what God next was saying in verse 9. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, I am not your God. Shocking words to us. It's the covenant expressed in the negative. What we usually hear is God says, I am, your people, I am your God, you are my people. This is saying the opposite of that. You're not my people. It's kind of like having your spouse saying, you're not my spouse. It's that shocking. It's the D word, right? The divorce word. It's the, the statement of lack of everything foundational within that close relationship. So again here, what, what we find in the name is significant. God's the one providing the name. It's God's play. God is revealing about himself. What are we learning about God? So We have to track along the the drama of the play. So this compound name of the negative Hebrew word lo, meaning not, followed by the Hebrew noun ami, which means my people, God was saying this unfaithfulness brings about the time when the Jews will no longer be my people. Again, that rattles us. Uh, Those of us who come to church regularly, Uh, those of us who understand the general trend of the scriptures, to hear these sorts of things from God to his people uh, rattles us. Uh, We're worshiping Christians, and it it should rattle us. Uh, The Jewish people were God's chosen people. It rattled them. That's the whole design of the play, to shake us up. Uh, The Jewish people are God's chosen people. Um, No, no, they're not. Now they're not. Not not on this day, not not under these circumstances. God is really saying something strong here. It's a pathway of God's judgments being announced. Judgment of of relational separation. And it's not just the pathway of God's judgments in the Old Testament, by the way. Uh, Listen to the New Testament book of Romans, where Paul warns in chapter 11 about the Jews being branches cut off and Gentile Christians being a wild branch grafted in. Then in verse 21, Romans... Eleven twenty one. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. End quote. That's scripture, Romans 11. So this issue we have to understand in both Old Testament and New Testament. Paul's point there in Romans 11 is not that we may lose our salvation. I'm not saying something that's not reformed, not according to TULIP, not according to Westminster Confession. Rather, Paul's point is that we must not presume on our salvation and have that presumption cause us to become lazy, disrespectful, and unthankful to God for his great redemption. We must continue to exercise faith in Christ as the sole ground for our salvation. We must remember to continue to live obedient lives to God. We're in a place of blessing in God's covenant, in his church. Why would we want to suffer chastisement from God instead of enjoying his continued blessings? Now you may say, wait. Uh, The story was supposed to be a story about God's simple love, a love that won't quit. Isn't that the inspiring part about Hosea? We're, We're hoping to hear that story. Isn't that what the story is supposed to be? We thought we knew the story. Gomer messes up. But Hosea loves her. We mess up. God loves us. Yay! Let's celebrate over lunch. Right? Moving story. Thank you. What's all this stuff you have here now? This story is unfolding and it's sounding more like an angry and vindictive ex-husband story more than a more like a judgment story. And are you sure the play still represents God here? For example, look at the Now three shameful names of the three babies of this young preacher's family. The firstborn is scattered. The second baby is called no compassion. The third baby is named not my people. I'm rather confused and rattled, as a Christian you might say, how this story is still about God's simple love and a love that won't quit. Where is the faithfulness of God to people who mess up? So we mess up. You ever heard one of your co-workers or a distant relative say to you, I'm in the business of messing up and God's in the business of cleaning up, as if you know that, that's the whole story right there. You, you actually get up to leave the theater because you believe this is an unfaithful representation of God and his covenant love, the, the true God, the creator and redeemer. You actually start to scooch past, excuse me, excuse me, <laughs> you're going, working your way down the road to leave the theater. You don't like this. That's your reaction to the story as it's unfolding. You scooch past several people in the dark sort of, and you walk up the incline floor, in the aisle, in one of those you know, more theater-type theaters. You're heading for the door. Before you can get to the door on the incline in the aisle, God himself meets you there. And God says, Would you please just wait a minute? I created the play for you. It's not over yet. I want you to keep watching. Could you please take your seat? Keep reading. Keep listening. Keep watching my play. Would you please be so kind as to come back in once more? Don't give up just yet. The show has just begun. Uh, You're making good points here, and I hear your thoughts, but you've only seen the beginning of my play. I had to drill home to you how the play begins. Your disobedience is a real problem for me. The disobedience calls for my judgment. It really does. I really am a righteous and holy God. It's down deep in me. Let me give you a spoiler of what needs to happen next in the play. Maybe that'll convince you to take your seat again. I'm going to call my people back. I'm going to change the names that seemed so dreadful when first given to the babies. For example, Jezreel means scattered. I'm going to change to planted. It's actually the same Hebrew word with two meanings. I'm going to take my people, my disobedient people, and I'm going to plant them into their own land again. It's the reverse of being scattered. I I said, spoiler alert, I'm telling you how the story is going to unfold, but I can't have you leave now. Brought home and literally planted into their homeland in the field. Don't you want to see that in my play? And the same motion that one might make to kick someone out of your field is the same motion I'll use for scattering seed. It's the same motion but I had to shock you. You take your hand and put it by your belt buckle where the seeds might be, and you go like this, like you might say pointing out of my land. It's a hand upward and outward, 45 degree angle away from your arm. Wait till you see it in the play. I'm especially happy about that moment. Are the seeds being scattered? Or are the seeds being planted now? Listen, if you're not yet convinced to sit down and enjoy the rest of the play, could I tell you the next part of my play? Uh, Another spoiler alert, Uh, I'm going to drop the knot where it says not my people. I will officially declare, again, my people. I'm going to change it, and they will again be my people, genuinely. Hey, uh, clearly you still want to leave. I haven't convinced you. I have two spoiler alerts, but could I just might as well give you one more? You read the next lines of the script of my play, I'm serious. Turn this little light on. Here, you, you read it. I've got a copy of the script here for you. What does it say that my actors and my play are supposed to say next? You read it to me. So you read in verse 10. God's script. Ready? Hosea 1, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured and numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel now means planting. So God says to you after you read that back to him, I just didn't want you to leave my theater because you misunderstand my play. I only ask you to read one more verse. And then if you still want to go, it's up to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. Could you please read that of my script? And so you read it out to God. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Uh, Beautiful words, right? This play is about God's love. How much... Have we taken God's love for granted? We have an opportunity each day to show what an honor it is to be in the bride of Christ. Are we the bride of Christ that deserves after what he has done for us? Take Paul's words again Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5:25 to 27 Maybe you've never even encountered these words. Maybe you've never heard about this play. Maybe you're not a Christian. You haven't heard the good news. You've never read God's script at all, anywhere. Maybe you've never experienced love like this. and Maybe you're actually wondering if it even exists. This may be just a make-believe play. You're kind of hoping that it does exist. And if it does exist, you're actually quite interested in knowing how you could become a part of it. You may even be wondering if it's possible for a person as bad as yourself to be loved by God in this sort of committed way after all that you've done. And if that's you, let me pause to let you know what you feel about your inadequacy is experienced by all of us who are brought into God's spiritual family, we perpetually feel like we don't deserve the love that God dumps on us. It's for people who are experiencing this inadequacy that we are brought into his spiritual family. It's for people like us that Christ died in victory that he rose again. We all run to Christ each day and we believe. Know for yourself that his love really is as this story describes it which is why all Christians gather to worship him every Sunday. Take Peter, for example, one of our sample model Christians. He was a man who originally did not understand God's love for others, especially not those who were not Jews. But Peter came to know, and his story can be told another time, but let me just read how Peter began his letter, 1 Peter 1.1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, scattered, in Pontus, Galatia, and so on, listing other places. But then Peter wrote, with a clear reference to Hosea chapter 1, when Peter wrote 1 Peter 2, verse 10, you, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter two ten, Brothers and sisters, now you have a deeper understanding of what Peter was referencing in that verse, two of Hosea's children in our play. You see it? This deepens our understanding of the New Testament every time we read an Old Testament prophet and our minor prophet friends, scattered, now planted, no compassion, now receiving god 's compassion and mercy, disowned by God, now the people of God. So the rest of this book fills out the storyline of this play, especially chapters one to three, namely that God keeps working to restore his unfaithful people to himself and this Book ends with a gracious invitation and promise to Israel. And we should listen. As Jesus himself said in Mark 4:4, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're ready for Act 2 of our play. We go now to Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 to 23. I've called this, Where's Mom? (laughs) Ready for the next part of our story? Curtain opens for Act 2. Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. We imagine this uh, little family's father. Hosea, with his three children at the supper table, but the children have not yet been fed, and there's no plates in front of them and no food. So the title of Act 2 is Where's Mom? Hosea walks in and is shocked and saddened to find that she has left him for false lovers again. She has become an unfaithful wife, and now there's three children to feed, that she's also become a runaway mother. She is confused. She thinks that those other lovers are the ones that truly love her. But the truth is that it's her husband who truly loves her. Whenever Hosea is speaking in chapter 2 about Gomer doing wrong, remember that our play is God speaking about his people doing wrong. And what's fascinating in act 2 of our play is that this overarching metaphor goes both ways and can be spoken interchangeably. So whenever God speaks about his people leaving him, we can do so with the language of his wife leaving him. So Hosea and Gomer is truly a metaphor for uh, God and his people. So again, we see the main theme here the significance of Hosea's marriage for the nation, for the people of God. Hosea's children are commanded to plead with the nation to turn to God. Fascinating, verse 2. Hosea 2 2. Listen. Plead with your mother. Who's speaking? This is Hosea talking to his children about what the children should say to their mother. Isn't that interesting? Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Now, I have to help you orient yourself to this. You're you're hearing and, and reading this as a modern American Christian, and you're imagining the scene with young children at the table as it's being described in the play, and you're thinking, oh, don't share that with the children. Children shouldn't have to hear a father say these things, right? How are young children supposed to plead with their mother? What is happening here? You lost me in the play. How are we supposed to hear a father say to children about their mother that she's not his wife and not her husband and proceed to talk about her sinful behavior? Now we have to realize within our play that this is, number one, it's God's word, and how are we to interpret this? There are limits to the applications of God's allegory, limits the applications of our mini theater revealing God. We're supposed to focus on the basic message of being communicated here about God. We need to focus on the the main thrust of the story, by remembering that God is the F- uh, Hosea of the theater. God is the Hosea of the theater. God's heart is broken, and you're supposed to ask yourself, from God's perspective, it's giving you insight into God's perspective, what is God supposed to do next? What can he do that he hasn't already done? What can he say he hasn't already said? To get his people to wake up and turn from their sin? The grief of Hosea here and the scene painted for us is supposed to combine with the damage we can understand from our life experiences within young families. The children are hurt by what Gomer's doing. That's how we're supposed to process this. That God, as Father, can see the hurt not just for Gomer, the hurt for himself, but the hurt for the children. So, what's happening in the nation hurts individuals. We're warned, for example, over in another prophet, a major prophet, Isaiah 55, verse 8, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and God's ways are not our ways. So we have to be careful as we interpret Hosea chapter 2. God does not grieve exactly like we grieve. There are limits to the illustration of our theater because God is God, and while we can describe him in certain ways, he's not actually human, so he doesn't experience things the full way that we do. So we, For example, he doesn't grieve exactly like we grieve. There are limits to the illustration. The difference here is that God controls all things and works all things out in accordance with his will. Still, despite that guardrail and warning, a reminder about the limits of our illustration, we still get the point and we get the force of it in our play, don't we? The grief of Hosea reveals to us the grief of God. And the point is that there's a parallel between God's grief and Hosea's grief. Hosea loved Gomer, and he was loyal to Gomer, and look how much it hurt. But the real revelation about God is what he does next. The entire story is designed to unravel, little by little, who our God really is, and how far the love of God goes for us, for those who have been unfaithful to him. God weeps for his people. He yearns for his people. He takes action for the deliverance of his people when we're wayward, spiritually stuck in wrong patterns of words and behaviors. God remembers how we used to be devoted to him, and he mourns over that. Over in our other friend, our, our new friend, Jeremiah, in chapter 2-2, God said to his people, I remember the devotion of your youth. Listen, your love as a bride, how you followed me. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest, Jeremiah 2-2. God remembers that. So let me just ask you, are you processing the scene of the, the play as we go? If you and I were in a situation like this, we might give up. But in this situation, God does not give up. God works to turn sorrow into joy. He can turn the tragic story of unfaithfulness in this little family into the triumph of forgiveness, love, and holiness. So verse 4 now, Hosea 2, verse 4. Significantly, the threats from God extend to the children, just as the threats from Hosea extend to the children. Upon her, Gomer's children, also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. Why would Gomer leave Hosea? Because lies that she was believing about what she gained from her illicit lovers. It's better over there than home. Isn't that why she would leave? I want to gain something. It's better over there. What's in it for her? What's the lie that she believed? Verse 5 tells us, we're given the inner thoughts of Gomer. Why would we be given the inner thoughts of an adulterous, ancient woman? That's the theater. It's revealing something significant and ancient about our God. Listen to verse 5. This is Gomer's thinking. I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool and flax, my oil and my drink, end quote. You see her thought process? You see our thought process as sinners? The false lovers promised her things that she needed. Basics, bread, water things she wanted, wool, flax, oil, drink, fancy clothes, good lotions, partying drinks, such as wine. I'm extrapolating from what we have in that verse. All these things she thought she would get from her lovers, but these same things had actually been provided for her by her husband alone, by God alone, as we'll see as the coming verses tell us. What a sad and tragic situation when a person has not learned to value the pure and faithful love of a Christian spouse above earthly treasures. What a sad and tragic situation we see in our play when a Christian has not learned to value the pure and faithful love of God above earthly treasures. What happens to a woman who lives her life thinking this way about what her husband provides? What happens to a Christian person who lives this way with that thinking about the way God provides? Sadly, we all know the story of how that happens, right? We understand what unravels next her husband takes care of her just fine. Like, uh, she drives an old Saturn sedan, and she shops at thrift stores, because that's where the family is financially. The year after that, she finds a new and flashy man who buys her the Lexus SUV she always wanted. And she take, he takes her to Macy's and pays cash for fancy new dresses, high heels, and all the accessories, decorative belt, hat, gloves, Once a month, they don all that stuff and eat at the revolving restaurant at the top of the tall building downtown. But somehow you track with Gomer, and a year after that, the man grows tired of her. She finds herself alone and heartbroken a second time. She meets a man who provides a Toyota and American Eagle and takes her to Cracker Barrel. Year after that, she finds herself heartbroken again and is taken in by the man who drives a used Kia, and they share it. Loves to buy everything at Meijer, including their buffet. Two years later, she has four broken female roommates. She's taking the city bus. When no one's looking, she's dumpster diving, eating grilled cheese with ketchup, and the cheese is expired. And she got it for free from her job at the mini-mart. And the man she's seeing is always between jobs. It was the fault of the last supervisor who shafted him, he'll tell you. He'll tell you every day if you ask him. She never seems to have time to make the grilled cheese sandwiches. He doesn't make them. He waits for her. So when she arrives home, she has to make them for both of them. And he says, so we can eat together. This is what happened to the preacher's wife. She's always hungry, and her clothes are worn out and spotted when she got them. We run away from God, and things get bad. What does God say? You ran away from me, so I hope you're miserable? That's what the ex says, right? That's what the classic ex-spouse says. I hope you're miserable. That's not how God thinks. That's not how God speaks. That's not how God acts. God intervenes. He brings her clothes. He buys her a car. He does a huge grocery run, fills her fridge and pantry with good food. Verse 6, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. Verse 7a, she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She shall seek them but not find them. God would stop the flow of gifts. He was actually in it when she descended down that pathway I just described. He caused her to crash. He stopped the good harvest in the fields until she had nothing left but her shame. Then God courts her again, and at last she'd respond to his love. That's when he pours gifts on her and supplies her needs. Somewhere right about in here, Hosea would get a new and surprising message from God in the unfolding of our play. Say, um, uh, Hosea, yes, Lord, Hosea, do you know that your wife is living in the poorest area of the city and is living with a man who cannot even care for himself and does nothing to care for her? What I want you to do now is to buy her a car so she can get to work, stop by a store, bring her brand new socks, shoes, stop by Aldi, bring her food that she needs for the next two weeks until her paycheck, because that will demonstrate in my play how I deal with my wayward people. And after Hosea does all that and he, he leaves, Gomer sits down and starts crying. Why is she crying? Because she feels loved, like she hasn't felt loved in a long time. And she feels hopeful, like she hasn't felt hopeful in a long time. But Gomer is a lot like us, and she's still stubborn. She receives the gifts, needs the gifts, has a sensation of love and hope, but is too stubborn yet to go home. She eats the first good meal she had in a long time. And goes to work at the Mini Mart. When she gets home from work, she finds her boyfriend with two of his friends have already eaten three-quarters of the food that her husband provided. There's no way she can make it to payday now. She goes into the bathroom, closes the door, and cries again. And this time it's the kind of crying that a person can only cry when they've hit rock bottom. And we have her thoughts again, verse 7b. We have her thoughts. Then she shall say, quote, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. That's what her thoughts are, but what does she do? She can't muster that level of humility right now. She knows that she should. She declares her intent, but she doesn't follow through. Somehow Hosea finds out that she's out of food, days early. So he comes over again. And this time, who answers the door is that man, her boyfriend, her lover. Hosea, the husband, identifies himself as Gomer's husband. And there's that really awkward moment when the boyfriend is talking to the husband at the door. Well, he leaves the groceries a second time and an envelope of cash. At this time, the scoundrel says, he says to Gomer, you know, Hosea leaves. And the scoundrel boyfriend, lover, now says to Gomer when she gets home, look what I bought you and there's money. Let's go out to dinner. Never mentioning that it came from Hosea. And she believes him. They have a grand dinner out and even went to a Bucks game. And when they got home, she gave to her lover the love that she should have given to Hosea. God must have clued in Hosea at some point because we read in verse 8, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal, you know, the false god. That's how God acts towards his people. We spurn his love, we squander his resources, but God still loves us, still provides for us. Every gift we receive is from him. Love is of God love is sovereign, love is beyond all reason love doesn't operate according to logic love acts according to love Hosea was playing the part of God in our mini theater all your life you have played the part of Gomer all our lives God has played the part of Hosea to us he provides for us consistently even when we forget him and our love for him is growing cold and even when we're running away refuse to admit that he's the one who provides. We congratulate ourselves on our achievements when they've only been accomplished in his strength. And this time, the love of the people for God would be forever. It would be like paradise regained. The whole family back together again, right? She would come home now, right? Wait, she wanders again. Now what? Look at the word therefore in verse 6. The word therefore in verse 9. The word therefore in verse 14. Each signals a new attempt by God, a new approach by God. He starts over with a new strategy. He starts over with a new plan again. So verse 6, therefore Hosea kicked her out of the house. And verses 6 and 8 develop that. Verse 9, therefore Hosea will start taking away her necessities. Verses 9 through 13 develop this. You know, maybe you think of the modern play. Hosea repossesses her car, so she... So he won't get parking tickets and keep repairing the car after many accidents that she had. You know how the story would unfold. He closes her Cole's credit card because she keeps racking it up. It's like the prodigal son in Luke 15. who became so hungry, he longed for the food that the pigs were getting. The prodigal had something in common with Gomer. While they were partying, they didn't think about God at all, or their spouse at all, or the family back home. But only when the partying stopped, the hangover was severe, And they were faced with the reality of true hunger. Did they come to their senses and start to think differently? Are we suffering like Gomer at the lowest point of our misery, feeling the results of a series of poor decisions? We are called to turn to God. Are we suffering like the prodigal far away from God and others? Maybe God is sending us misery as a shock message, a reality check. Maybe God is sending us misery as a new strategy from God to reclaim our hearts inviting us to come back home. Don't, don't just say you should get back to worship and get back to personal Bible study and prayer. Make it happen. Uh, God will shower us with his love. Verse, verse 14, therefore Hosea will court Gomer. This is a new strategy now. Verse 14 represents another new strategy. Now God is going to reach out for her as if he's courting her to marry him. Verses tw- 14 to 23 develop this point. He will allure her. He will speak tenderly to her. Verse 15, providing a door of hope. The Valley of Accor, mentioned, is the Valley of Trouble. He'll take on her parking tickets, her outstanding credit card bills, her loan to the neighbors, each from whom she borrowed about $200 cash, and her sister, from whom she borrowed 2500 and her legal fees, her court dates, her needed dental surgery, and her ongoing medicine for her medical struggles. He takes whatever's involved in her Valley of Troubles and turns those matters for her into a door of hope. When all seems lost for her and destroyed, God sets up hope for her, hope for us. He does this when all seems most dark. How? Only by taking our troubles on himself. He has a lot of appointments coming up, legal appointments and dental appointments and bills and straightening things out with all sorts of people who are upset. It's driving us forward to the way it's all taken care of is only the cross. These issues become real headaches for Hosea, Consider the insight into the love of Christ who took on us with all of our troubles in John 12, 27, where Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. John twelve twenty seven. If Jesus was selfish, he'd say, I don't want to deal with all that. But he's not selfish. He says, I'll take it all on. If Hosea is selfish, he'll say, I don't want to deal with all that. I mean, you rewind the clock a few years and I would take her. But now with all of this, I'm not taking on all that. Save me from the trouble, Lord. But love says, I'll take it all on. Her and all of her trouble. Hosea did not take Gomer back in order to have an easy life. Hosea took Gomer back in order to care for her. That's what we see about our God in this play. Jesus didn't come to the hour of trouble at the cross in order to have an easy life. He came to the hour of the cross in order to care for us. Again, the next chapter, John thirteen twenty one. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Why was Jesus troubled in his spirit? Because he's taking our place. And we were in big trouble with God, the Father. Something that Jesus had never known before, being in trouble with God, the Father having displeasure coming from God the Father to him. Jesus had never been in trouble with God the Father before. He'd never done anything to ever displease the Father. They were in complete unity. He had always obeyed the Father. He had always pleased the Father. And Jesus entered our trouble in order to bring us out of trouble, which means he had to face the displeasure and wrath of his Father for the first time. To bring us back to God. The next chapter, John 14, on the basis of the death to which Jesus was headed for us, that Jesus could say so lovingly to sinners in John 14, 27, Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let your hearts be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled, but I'm going through it for you. Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 16. And then that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. That's what a husband does because that's what God does as a husband of the bride of Christ, the church. Hosea would be leaving the house to go to courthouse again to settle another legal matter according to uh, Gomer's former troubles that led to legal problems and, and Gomer would say, where are you going, honey? And Hosea would say, don't worry about it, honey. Just taking care of you. I got an appointment. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We, we don't have to go to the cross. He does that to give us peace. Verse 17, Hosea 2.17, we can imagine Hosea helps Gomer to make her language family-friendly. <laughs> Welcome home, honey. We don't talk like that in front of the children. <laughs> he helps her to kind of reacclimate to life in a godly family, right? And She can stop having nightmares about her previous abusive days. She's had some occasions, you know? She's had some experiences out there. He then reminds her of her younger and better days together, invites her to call him my husband, and return to terms of endearment together, verse 18. Covenant renewal, providing protection and safe place to sleep, verse 19. Commitment, betrothal, marriage bonds, permanence, and steadfast love. There's our, one of our favorite Hebrew words, chesed again, H-E-S-E-D, pronounced chesed, the steadfast love of God, and in his mercy, verse 19. Then verse 20, in faithfulness and walking together before the Lord in holiness, we have a holy little family again. In the poem of verses 21 to 23, there's a beautiful hearkening back to the names of their three children and showing that God will heal the broken family. So translate that to our play. Hosea gets bicycles for the children, helmets and streamers and stickers. He got an annual pass to the zoo, and Gomer's able to come along since it's a public place, even though, you know, she's in, in special... Court mandated reasons where she has distance from the children. She can come because it's a public place, and he figured that out. Uh, Family court previously would not release the children back into the home because of Gomer's past, so she stayed in the house next door, which Hosea bought for her. Eventually, based on Hosea's record, uh, family court allowed her back, and he signed contracts. He was under observation, court-mandated inspection spot, house visits, Blessing of all that is that the children have both a daddy and a mommy and put them to bed with bedtime stories together again. And God uses these three names, Jezreel, scattered, now planted, no compassion, now receives God's compassion and mercy, and not my people becomes my people. There's no greater promise than that. I'm taking my time in the first three chapters of this because it's the story of all the minor prophets. You'll see We have to understand and absorb the beauty and the truth of the story and who this God is that we're studying. There's no greater promise. It's the second greatest story in the Bible. To have God say to us, you are my people and I'm your God is the essence of the covenant. It's what we call covenant theology. Reformed theology, biblical Christianity. It's why we're so thankful. It's why we come every Sunday. It's why we're filled with joy. It's why we have some good news to share with anyone we meet. It's why we support missionaries to go to every nation of the world to spread this news about our creator God, there's no wider door of hope for troubled people. No matter the mess we find people in, the answer and the hope is in Christ instantly. You ever find someone is hopeless, you, you tell them what God says in Hosea. For example, chapter 2, verse 20, I will betroth you to me. That's a pretty good summary. If you only had six words to say to somebody what God says to them in their mess, God could never love a person like me. You say, God says, I will betroth you to me. That kind of commitment, that kind of holy commitment that will take on whatever you're facing. Or if you find yourself discouraged, uh, depressed, even entering a time of despair, perhaps you could read Hosea 2.21 when God says, in that day, the day of your despair, the day you're depressed, the day you're discouraged, in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. How do you like that? Get an answer from our, our spouse, our heavenly husband as it were. Verse 22, God will provide the grain, the wine, the oil, all that you need to live on with God. To worship God, to serve God, he will provide for you physical realities that you actually need, not just the spiritual realities of truth of his relationship, but that truth translated into caring for your life. Verse 23, I will plant you because you belong. You will grow and bear fruit. I will have mercy on you for you are my people. The God who raises the dead, the God who creates out of nothing, will do something in your life, to your life, for your life. i got five minutes. I'm going to start Act 3. Act 3, Chapter 3. One recent Bible scholar has the opinion that Hosea Chapter 3 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. He holds that view because this chapter portrays the greatest story in the Bible, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people in a concise and moving form. From what we've seen so far in chapters 1 and 2, Acts 1 and 2, we now ask, where in the whole history of the world do we see the love of God most clearly? Answer, at the cross of Christ Jesus and that cross paired with the empty tomb. That cross is shown in this chapter, chapter 3. Jesus delivers us from sin slavery at the cost of his own life. After all that had happened in chapters 1 and 2, Hosea's wife fell back into sin again, ended up in slavery. Now she's a lady of the night. She's got a pimp boss. She can't be released. You know what I'm saying? She's in slavery, truly. Where we see Jesus purchasing us from slavery is seen in this chapter when Hosea purchased his fallen wife back from slavery. Gomer had left again, so we pick up verse 1, Acts 3, verse 1. I'm sorry, Act 3, Hosea 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again. Let the force of the word again strike you the whole nuclear family was brought back together and we were enjoying that, right? Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Now again, God sends Hosea to win back his own fickle wife. How? With love like the Lord's love. Hosea had to show that love by paying the price of true love. He needed to buy back his wife, so Hosea did. Hosea made it clear to his wife that from now on, no one must be allowed to come between them as husband and wife. What does this show about our God and his people? It's the exact reflection of the actors in the play. The people of God have felt the pain of living without the Lord for a long time, were sufficiently chastised, even corrected, and at last truly come home to the Lord with genuine worship and service. Gomer left and sunk lower and lower with one lover after another. And at the end... She became a financial and real slave and she was sold on the open market by auction in the capital city of Samaria. God told Hosea to show up at the auction and buy her. The ancient slave market was a topic written about in the ancient world, so we know a lot about how that market worked. The slaves were always sold naked. Maybe an old man would start off. Maybe an old woman. Maybe there's a younger man with a significant amount of strength that he would be a good asset on the market. Uh, On the farm, you know, he could really do a lot of work each day for you. And next, there'd be maybe a younger man with future strength. If he grew some, you'd have to invest in him. And at last, this beautiful woman is put up for sale. Her clothes are removed. She stands in front of all on the auction block so that buyers can have a look at exactly what they're buying. Men start bidding for the body of this female slave. Stop and consider what we're being told in this part of the Bible. What do we have here? This has become the situation for Gomer. God has invented this play. Thanks to the command of God to Hosea, this has become the situation for Hosea, one of God's prophets. The bidding starts. Others are bidding uh, so many pieces of silver. No, no, so many pieces of silver. No, no, so many. Do I have, you know, and the bidding. You understand, an auction. Hosea would meet the bid. Someone else would bid. Oh, he would beat that bid. The bidding got up to 15 shekels of silver. I don't know how to translate that for you, but the whole thing's disgusting, is it not? Someone added a bushel of barley. Hosea met it, increased it by half. It's 15 shekels of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. Sold. Now you know that the word "sold" at an auction means Hosea now legally owns this woman. She was now his property. He could have worked her as a slave. He could have taken out all his anger, the anger you could imagine an ex-husband at this point. He could have beat her, let her heal, and beat her again. He could have sold her again, clean her up, fix her up, sell her for more. He could have killed her. That's completely legal, not ethical, but in those days, it would be allowed by law because he owns her. It's one of the terrible things about slavery. We all well know. But Hosea did none of those things. Right then, right there, the illustration of God's love for us was the brightest. Instead of seeking deserved judgment and vengeance against us, God showed us love. Hosea put Gomer's clothes on her. He restored her dignity in public. He led her away from the scene of embarrassment. He loved her. He bought her freedom. He only asked her to love him because he did want that from her. Verse 3, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. He now can command this to her because he owns her. Knock it off. (laughs) Hosea was telling Gomer that the purchase did not make her a slave. Rather, the relationship was now one of husband and wife. He wasn't taking the rights of ownership. The relationship was mutual commitment. I'm committed to you. I'm just asking that you be committed to me. She must be committed to her husband. He required of himself equally what he required of her. Why? Because the love of Hosea to Gomer is a picture of the love of God to his people. Again, verse 1, where God expected Hosea to love her, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. I ask you, does God love like this? Yes, that's what the Bible tells us. This is one of the most important, significant, beautiful chapters in the Bible because it shows us what we see also at the cross. God steps into the marketplace where sinners have become property and stuck, and God buys our freedom from sin's bondage at a very high cost. He buys us with the price of the death of Christ. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, not 15 pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. He gave his one and only son. So what does so loved mean? So loved is explained in Hosea chapter 3. A holy prophet. Standing at an auction block for his naked, unfaithful wife, ordering from God, <clears throat> has orders from God to purchase his wife who had become an adulteress and a slave. And in this we understand the love of God is so big. God so loved the world. It's it's big. We are Gomer. We're slaves sold at the auction of sin. The world makes bids for us. Come follow glamour. Come follow sensuality. Come follow power. Come serve your appetite. Come be famous. Come be the one who influences others the most. When all of us seem used up and done for, our careers, our lives, our relationships are useless, God sends the precious, glorious Lord Jesus Christ to attend the auction and buy us back at the cost of his own life. What am I bid for these poor, hopeless, enslaved sinners? And Jesus replies, I bid my life. I will die for them in order to set them free. Sold! There's no greater bid in all the history of the world because there's never anything of more value anywhere than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18 You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, Matthew 20, 18, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beautiful story. <clears throat> we'll pick up next time with uh, chapters 4 to 14. That'll conclude our study of Hosea. Thanks for giving me extra time in these first two lessons to introduce all of the minor prophets and introduce the prophet of Hosea. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for